Amen. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that we can acknowledge today that there is none like Jesus. Thank you for the salvation that is ours through the shed blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. And thank you that we can have a new life, a forgiven life, a sanctified life, a holy life, a life of blessing because we have been touched by Jesus Christ our Lord. So Father, as we gather together this morning, whether in person or online, we thank you that we can celebrate all that you are, all that you're doing, and all that you will do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Nice to have you here this morning. And by the way, it's time for the grades one to five to go to their class this morning and as they're going. And before we get into content this morning, I want to update you on something that happened this week in the church. Many of you probably uh, are aware that um, we're in the process of putting security cameras all around the church. Going to be about 12 of them by the time it's done. But uh, wouldn't you know it, when we had a few of the cameras starting to work the last week or two, we had a break-in this week. It's almost, did we invite it or what? Like, anyway, um, the person got in, uh, opened, opened the front door, jarred the front door open, person got in, alarm's going, uh, probably spent 10 minutes in the building, uh, didn't get very far, I think damaged one cabinet and got into, you know, staff desks, but didn't take anything that we know of, didn't find anything of value. But you know what the cool, I think this is really cool, you might not think this is really cool, but we got a picture of the person and the video of them breaking in because of the camera. <laughs> so the, the picture, picture is off to the police, they have it, and they're on the case, and uh, they're taking care of it, and it was really kind of cool. The one... Well, they just missed them because we have the police come in during the week and they use the downstairs. <coughs> Instead of having to go all the way back downtown, we let them use the washroom downstairs, et cetera, et cetera. And the one police officer just missed the culprit himself. <laughs> and, uh, and which was really, so we had a bit of a chuckle over that because I didn't actually have to call the police. I just had to go to the parking lot and two of them are right there. <laughs> So it was, it was really kind of funny that this person, anyway, it was, it was uh, kind of a comical week, but at the same time, the one police officer goes to church and he says, yeah, I know uh, uh, all about that stuff. And uh, anyway, just pray that they find the person and uh, he doesn't do that kind of stuff on a regular basis, okay? Let's just pray for that. All right, we're into our series, Messy Life, and for a few minutes this morning, I want to uh, bring up a particular topic again as we're talking about this whole thing about life being messy. I think, I think there's this, these two general rules that we enter life with. Now, you don't find these two general rules in uh, 
a parenting book that's accepted by the whole country. You know, we don't find these two general rules. You don't find these two general rules in the charter of a particular country, or you don't find it in a constitution at all. But we're all born with these two assumed rules about life. And the two rules are this, that we are to be good and we are to do good, right? Those are two general rules that we all enter life with. And I don't know how we got to this assumption that these are the two basic rules about life, but we all acknowledge it. In fact, if you are a parent at all, you know that's what you instill in your children. You don't want them to uh, be bullies. You want them to share. You want to grow them up to be valuable citizens of society. So we teach our kids and we teach the next generation after generation after generation to be good and to do good. That's kind of like the natural two rules of life. But what if, but what if being good and doing good is what gets us into trouble? What if being good and doing good has ever got us into a messy life? There are some of you here this morning who are incredibly wounded because you did the right thing and it backfired on you. That you were good, you done good, and somehow you got in trouble for it. Or somehow, somehow you got centered out, targeted, and treated in a way that was incredibly unfair and hurt you very deeply. Some of you here today are victims of the church. Can I just say that out loud? You've been deeply wounded by church. The place that's supposed to be good, the place where we teach you to do good, and yet you've done that, and somehow you are sitting here this morning or sitting at home this morning, incredibly wounded. And all you did was be good or do the right thing. I think one of the evidences that we live in a very sinful world is oftentimes doing the right thing is the most hurtful or the most difficult or the most problematic, or the thing that's going to unravel all kinds of things in life and go, man, if I, you know, open up about this, if I say this, if I, you know, reveal this, or if I decide to do, you know, it's going to cause such a storm that it's going to hurt a lot of people. Even though everyone will agree it's the truth it's good, and it's the path forward. So what if being good and doing good is what causes a messy life all together? Some of you are here this morning. You're afraid of any, of any deep relationship because you've been hurt. 
You're afraid of putting yourself out there or, you know, being vulnerable in certain situations just because you got hurt. And we've heard many, many times that hurt people hurt people. And messy life after messy life after messy life after messy life gets created by this pattern that is repeated time and time again. Now I'm going to take us to a particular passage this morning, and it is one of my favorite passages, and um, I've, I've spoken on this passage here at Village Green in the last 15 years. I, I've spoken on this passage a number of times, and I keep coming back to it, and I'm coming back to it today, but I'm going to do something today that I've not ever done before. Normally, when I speak on this passage, I speak on the, on the latter part of the passage, but today I'm going to speak only on, well, not only, but just majority of the beginning of this passage, because I think the beginning of this passage is vitally important for understanding the rest. And, you know, another, another thing I want to communicate is that we are just looking at the verses today. I, we don't have any fill in the blanks. If you're here for life groups, you know, because our life groups are sermon-based, it is just me and the passages today. There's no fill in the blanks. There's no quotes by, uh, you know, famous sociologist or anything like that. So, you know, it's me. Okay? Uh, can you guys handle that? Can you guys handle that? <laughs> no. Wow. <laughs> Thank, you very, <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, so we're just going to look at these passages, but we're going to un unwrap kind of like the top end of this particular passage because it's such a powerful passage. Always want to hear it again? I'm, I'm sorry. I, okay. <laughs> but it comes from the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3. And this is a, a passage that I have to admit, the early part of this passage I've wrestled with for many years and finally um, figured out what Peter is really doing here. And hopefully that'll kind of give you an aha as well. So let's, let's begin by reading the early part of this passage. And Peter, writing in 1 Peter 3, at verse 13, says, Now... Who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? And then he goes, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. All right, let's, let's, let's park right there. Any, any other time I spoke in this particular passage, I just bypassed this particular because it seemed pretty evident Although I have to admit, for years, I really struggled with the first sentence. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Okay? I go, what, what is Peter talking about? And then, finally, I, I think, you know, as, as I was praying through this, you know, a couple of years ago, it, it, it sort of dawned on me what Peter was doing. Peter is asking a question that naturally when you read it, you come up with an answer or you come up with a thought or you come up with a picture. And Peter is kind of being a little tongue-in-cheek here and a little sarcastic 
in the way that he presents this particular, you know, sentence. And the, the phrase eager to do good in the Greek is the actual words, you know, those of you who are zealous for doing good, this overzealousness, this, this excitement, this visual thing that people, you know, if somebody says, hey, what about so-and-so? And they say, and, you know, immediately people are going to say, so-and-so, they're pretty zealous about just doing good stuff. They're helping people. They're, it's visible in their lives. You can't mistake if you mention this person's name in, a, in the context of a group. Right away, you're going to think, oh, they just love helping people. They love doing good to other people. They love being there to make a difference in another person's life. That's kind of like the force of the language in, in Greek as, as Peter is saying this. And Peter's going, if you're that kind of person, who's going to want to harm you? Now, people who do good things get harmed all the time. Unfortunately. And what Peter is saying here is if they're going to harm you because you're doing good. What kind of person are they? What resides in their heart that they would willfully want to harm you for doing the right thing? What kind of dark heart exists in this particular individual who would want to harm someone who is doing good? How dark does a heart have to be to want to harm another person who is doing nothing but good in the world. What jealousy has to exist in that person? What envy has to exist in that person? What kind of hurt has to exist in that person for them to see somebody doing good and say, I want to ruin that. I don't want that to grow. I don't want that to get better. I don't want that to be something that continues. Peter is exposing the darkness and the sinful hearts of people who want to live by the darkness instead of the good things that this life has for others. And the shocking thing is, because we're good people, because we want to do good, when we get attacked in these particular ways, the first response often that we have is, what is wrong with me? There must be something that I've done wrong that would cause this person to want to put an end to the good things I do. When in reality, what Peter is saying here, make sure you understand that though you do good, there are some who are going to be incredibly bothered by that and are going to seek to harm you because of it. Now, I don't think 
I, I don't think there's anybody in this room who hasn't experienced at one time or another doing the right thing or doing the good thing and having not experienced someone who wants to hurt them for it. Am I right? We've all been there. We have all been there. And there are times that we wrestle with the why. Why has this happened to us? Why was I treated this way? Why, why doing the right thing? This happened. But Peter's reminding us that there are those that live by the darkness, live by their own hurt, live by their own envy, jealousy, whatever, and actually do not like it when they see others living right, that it becomes something that they target those people for. You know, and here, here's, here's the, 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 the different direction that Peter takes with all this. Peter says, but... Even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you. Look at that. That not necessarily a promise here, but you know, in other passages, payback is God's business, not ours. <laughs> right? I wish it was different. Because we're all really good at payback, I'll tell you. I can lie in bed and come up with a lot of inventive ways to get back at people. I don't know about you, but that's, but that's my dark heart in action. And we all know that. We all know that. And you know, what I find very interesting about this particular passage, it doesn't tell us exactly how God's going to reward us. And again, in the Greek, this is the word for blessing or happiness because both in Hebrew and in Greek the word for blessed is the same word that can be used for happiness as well so be blessed because God will bless you for this so don't worry or be afraid of their threats Peter goes on to say, you know, that's, that's the brunt, but I want to I just finish this really quickly because we have communion and a video and all that stuff we want to show you. But I want to go really quickly through the rest of the passage. Peter says, instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. There's, there's the central motif of this particular passage. Whether you suffer for doing good, suffer for, you know, what, what, whatever it is, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone, and, and, and in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this hurt, in the midst of everything that is happening, you know, he never says stop doing good. In fact, there's many biblical passages that says continue to do the right thing, continue to do the good thing, even though for many of us we say, why do I bother? Because it just continues to get me hurt. But Peter says, 
when we live with that kind of attack in our lives. That, and, and in the midst of all of that, because we are living as Christ in us and worshiping him as the Lord of our lives, there may be opportunity where someone's going to ask us about our hope as a believer. How, how, how can you, in the midst of all of this, expect God to be blessing you and you continue to wor worship Christ as Lord of your life? And he says, always be ready to explain it. And I love the thing is, is if you cannot explain the hopefulness you have, if you're a believer here in Jesus Christ this morning, can I just say maybe you've got a bit of a problem? Because it's not asking for, you know, a 30-point doctrinal statement. Even though that's just as hopeful. But can you articulate why it is that I can believe Jesus and live my life in the midst of the difficulties? All right? Let me, let me just end this uh, with the next part of this passage because Peter surprises us. He, does, he doesn't, you know, doesn't, you know, he says, continue to do good. And in fact, if you are being asked about the hope that you are, you know, living with, he says, but make sure you do it in a gentle and respectful way. You don't hurl insults back. You don't tell them where to go. Tell them, you know, start you know, cursing out their family, you know, all this kind of stuff, okay? Peter says, do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. How many of you have ever responded in a way and you walked away and you go, oh, did I ever blow that? I can't believe I said what I said. Wherein in truth is, you can believe what you just said, what you said. <laughs> you know, isn't it, isn't it cool? 2,000 years later, we have documents that talk so, so adamantly about the things we feel today. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? And you can walk away with your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good. If that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. When people say to me, why do I continue doing good and all that stuff, they do not like the answer I give them. Because it is better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing wrong. Some of you are wondering why I keep going. Some of you are wondering, why do I continue to do the right thing when everything I want to do is to run away and celebrate the wrong? But can I just encourage you today to keep going? Keep doing the right thing. Amen. Keep being good, you know? Because you belong to Christ. Amen. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we can have on this international day of prayer for the persecuted church. And to look at a passage in the midst of a season where Christians who are feeling the pinch from the Roman Empire. And Lord, I know we've only taken a few minutes, but there are many in this room and online who know exactly what we're talking about today, that they do good, they do right, and it never seems to work in their favor. But Lord, you see what they're going through. Bless them today as you have promised through your word this morning that there is a reward, that there is a blessing, that there is a season of happiness for those who continue to do good. So we commit them to you, Lord, and pray that you, on this day where we celebrate you, that we would, be, we would see the evidence of your blessing in very tangible ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to play a video right now for the International Day of Prayer, and then Brent's going to come and lead us in communion. Thank you very much. Can you think of a situation in your life where, in the heat of the moment, you felt all alone? Maybe you felt like God was far away, but when you looked back, you realized that God was with you every step of the way, that he was close and present. Learning to seek God through the difficult seasons of life is an important part of the Christian journey, and it's one we often can't do alone. We need to support each other and pray for God to bring his peace and wisdom to challenging situations. In fact, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are in need of prayer today. There are more than 360 million Christians around the world that face high levels of persecution and discrimination simply because they choose to follow Jesus. Persecution isn't only violence, it's also pressure that could be applied to every area of life. Some are kicked out of their homes and turned away by their families, some have their houses searched and get interrogated. Some are arrested and spend years in prisons away from their families. Churches get attacked and destroyed. People are threatened by their communities. Some get kidnapped and held in isolation. Some live under constant watch, forced to keep their faith a secret. Like in Afghanistan, for example. Afghanistan is the most dangerous place in the world for Christians to live. Almost every Christian there is a secret believer. If a new Christian's faith is discovered, they can be disowned by their family and community, or even killed in the name of honor. Many believers are forced to flee the country, leaving everything they have behind. Christians in Nigeria face the most violent persecution. While all citizens of northern Nigeria face threats and violence, Christians are often specifically targeted by extremist groups because of their faith. They live their lives under constant threat of attack, and kidnappings are becoming more common. An attack could happen at any point of their everyday lives without warning. Each one of these persecuted Christians are part of the same body of Christ that we are part of. Their experiences impact them deeply, and they, like us, need reminders of God's closeness. For this year's International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, Will you join us in prayer?
Let's pray for our persecuted family to be reminded that they are not abandoned by God or His church, that they are persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, not abandoned.